This episode is sponsored by a donor to Global Wellness Institute, or GWI. GWI is a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to empower wellness worldwide by educating the public and private sectors about preventative health and wellness. GWI's research, programs, and initiatives have been instrumental in the growth of the $4.5 trillion U.S. dollar wellness economy and in uniting the health and wellness industries. Visit globalwellnessinstitute.org. On this episode, we have Josh Grenowitz. Josh was born and raised in the Midwest and grew up in Chicago. He grew up in a household of artists and fell in love with the power of story at a young age. He aided troubled youth, focusing on runaways and street children in the early part of his career, following through on a passion from youth of having an open door for peers who were struggling. He decided to pursue his passion for storytelling more formally after his work with Cure Violence and earned a master's degree in writing. He served as a communications director for a number of healthcare organizations. One Africa-based project in Liberia inspired him to spend two years living in Togo as a marketing and communication director at Integrate Health, aiding in the establishment of a healthcare delivery system integrated with local healers. He recently launched OddDuck, a consultancy combining services in social change communications focused on healthcare with storytelling. Josh, thank you so much for being on our show. Asim, thank, thank you for having me. It's, it's, it's an honor. Yeah, really impressed with uh, your background and um, clear example of somebody following their passion and uh, doing some amazing things with it. So I've, I've been looking forward to this conversation. I think it's going to be very inspiring for, for our audience. Um, let's start from the beginning. Um, were you born in the Midwest uh, in Chicago? I, I, so I was born in Ohio, uh, grew okay. up in Chicago, uh, South Side. Uh, Polish Latinx neighborhood, so working class. Um, gotcha. My parents are both artists. Uh, oh. So mom is a, a craftswoman and a jeweler, and a, she was a, a painter. Uh, dad's an illustrator, and uh, I used to call him a, a you know forklift driving poet. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's fantastic. And, and uh, yeah, yeah, and storyteller. He was a professional storyteller for a while, folklorist. So I, I, I say that, uh, you know, every weekend I uh, was spent sort of at an art fair or a festival for my mom. And then every family trip was spent looking for Bigfoot. I never found him, but looking for Bigfoot or sea monsters or ghost hunting. Um, so that was, that was pretty much my childhood. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, well, you know, you know, your dad and the forklift driving poet, uh, Hemingway, drove an ambulance. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> for it. Um, is your family origin of Polish descent? Uh, going all the way back, yeah. Um, but I think we're third, fourth generation. So <laughs> it was never, um, it was never really kind of part of our cultural upbringing. Gotcha. Okay. Um, uh, Josh, do you have siblings? I do. I have a younger brother. Okay. Um, and it's actually funny. Uh, so I don't know, Asim, have you ever seen uh, Tim Burton's Big Fish? Yes. Uh, okay. So, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's a, it's a very storyteller centric, you know, film. Um, and for your listeners, you know, it's, it's basically, um, you know, uh, Albert Finney is, is sort of uh, the father figure. He's, he's, he's um, a storyteller, has been raised as a storyteller. And his son, who's played by uh, Billy Crudup, just wants like the truth, just wants to get to the truth. Um, and so, so uh, you know, the, the whole film 
is kind of about that tension between the two. And so I mentioned the sort of hunting for Bigfoot and, and you know, that's the, you know, like that's, that's how we grew up like, Oh, well, what are we going to do this weekend? Let's go ghost hunting at a uh, bachelor's Grove. Um, and so I, I went, you know, kind of full on um, Billy Crudup character style. And I was like, I'm going into psychology. I, I want to see where stories come from, what they inform. You know, I'm, I'm not tracking down like kind of the, the actual folklore. I want to see that. And my brother went the opposite way. So every house that he's lived in is somehow miraculously haunted. He's super <laughs> to, to ghosts. He's always working on some sort of history or research and stuff like that. So, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So, well, you know, somebody had to inherit the, the, the lineage, right? Uh, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, you provide an analytical rigor to it. Uh, I, I try. <laughs> so, uh, so that that would be good. Um, thank you for for sharing all that. So, um, what what I'm curious about, Josh, growing up, like, um, what were the things you did for fun? Like, you couldn't wait to get your homework done so you could do this. What was sure? Um, well, writing was always a big thing. Yeah, uh, from so young, you were a writer. Uh, very. It's as soon as I could hold a pen, <laughs> I was writing. Fabulous. Yeah. Great to hear. Yeah. Um, so very passionate about that. But uh, we were we were really active kids, um, and we had like a whole kind of Goonies, uh, you know, Monster Squad type team. <laughs> and we were always, you know, chasing vampires down alleyways and stuff like that. So very into very into. Um, horror movies and and um and then you know that having that and kind of inform our play um and everything so oh fantastic and so um this is was the impetus behind studying psychology in, in college so you opted for that and not writing yeah you know i i think um <laughs> this this is uh analytical like i i felt like you know i had to have something that was um you know, made me employable. <laughs> and so I figured um, if I, if I had psychology, I could always write on the side and that, you know, and I, I was always passionate about that as well. Um, and so I, I, I ended up going into uh, social work um, and, and my first like, you know, full-time kind of career was, was in social work. So you were um, uh, sort of a, um, functioning as a therapist in that capacity, or so I did. So the program I worked, I spent uh, six and a half years actually uh, working with runaway and homeless youth right. in different capacities. So everything from, and I'm going to date myself here, Asim, but uh, everything from like we started as outreach workers. So I started in kind of doing outreach, um, and you know we would go to places where youth congregate. So it was, it was the, you know, abandoned buildings and bridges, but also like video game arcades, which you know, <laughs> don't exist anymore. Um, and, you know, uh, malls and things like that. Um, and so it was just trying to provide options for youth who were on the streets, who were street dependent, uh, which was a great position to be in in your 20s, too, because you automatically had like this sort of, you know, rapport. Um, yeah. And so I did that and worked my way up to, you know, crisis worker, um, responding to, to situations in crisis where youth were, you know, on the streets, and then counselor and carrying a caseload of like uh, 30 clients. 
and well, stuff and and you know yeah. so i did that until until i burnt out and i saw you know i felt like i was focusing more on you know i could have i could have a week where i had you know five successes and one failure but all i was fixate fixated on was that failure, that failure. That, yeah. you know like just just that level of disappointment um it's very challenging to be in that role for empaths and uh i can tell that that's that's what you are so that made it uh very difficult i'm wondering josh was there a personal narrative that drew you to uh helping uh these types of kids maybe somebody you knew or um a lot of a lot of my friends growing up i mean we when when we were kind of teens and in our early 20s you know we were we were always you know the ones who had sort of the flop house yeah. <laughs> you know the, wow. the you know we always had like somebody on the couch yeah. um and and somebody staying over because they were kicked out of their house or or you know kicked out by their parents or whatever um yeah. so that was definitely that was definitely part of part of my my teens and 20s mm. um and uh yeah and so it just it was just sort of a, a natural sort of transition into that work um because i i was certainly seeing all of the guys that i had grown up with who who many of them are actually still friends and we still talk uh, regularly or at least send you know goofy movie quotes to each other um but a lot of my friends yeah were were had been kicked out of their house yeah. you know early on 16 15 16 17 wow. um and you know just seeing the hardships that they had gone through was something that it definitely translated into into my experience as a counselor yeah well and also you know uh, you cared so much because you saw your friends in these clients of yours absolutely yeah. absolutely there's no question you know, I'm curious about how you had this passion for writing from the beginning, um, and and a clear part of your story is about uh, you know this a clear part of your narrative is believing in the power of story. Um, when did that inspiration first strike you? Was it pre-college, sure. during college? Um, I, I I like to say I have like a, a personal origin story and a professional origin story for this. Okay. <laughs> so I'd like to share both with you. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. Awesome. So I mean, I, I think the personal story was just growing up in the in the environment that I described and kind of growing up with, you know, a dad who was you know doing professional storytelling at libraries and events and public events and stuff and storytelling festivals. Um, so just having that be part of our family life. Um, was something that and and again you know I was very passionate about writing mm. early on so that's that's sort of the personal component um, and then the the professional component was you know eventually when I kind of left the direct service portion of of social services I had uh, ended up at a uh, public health approach to violence prevention okay. uh, working for a former World Health Organization uh, uh, infectious disease professional and, and physician um, who was looking at violence as a disease, um, not, in the, in, oh. not in the sense of a metaphor, but actually seeing you know, um, properties of transmission uh, oh. that happen um, in violence and in violent situations from one to another. So observation causes it to spread. 
observation, exposure to, to, you know, violent events, uh, exposure to sort of violent climate and, and, and also sort of the, the entire dynamic, but that, which we're seeing with, with COVID now, right. Where you have transmission from, you know, one group sort of activating and doing like these tit for tat retaliations yeah. that sort of escalate. So everybody can kind of ascribe their own, their, their narrative has some sort of victimization right. and some sort of, you know, um, you know, being, being the perpetrator and they're often the same individuals. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Not to mention the desensitization to causing physical harm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the, the, the elements of, of that exposure. So um, working for Doc, uh, he's actually, he's actually the, when I was talking earlier, the one who was interviewed by Studs Terkel. Oh, okay. Um, he's actually the one who was interviewed by Studs Terkel. So, uh, but when, when I was working for him, you know, Doc was, you know, he, he came from that World Health Organization background. He had spent, you know, uh, 20 years doing, you know, epidemiological stuff, you know, so he was, he was all about the graphs and the charts and the data and the data and the data. Um, he used to rib me that the only reason that he would read the New York Times was for the graphs. So that gives <laughs> you an idea. Um, and so I, I was always like, you know, really kind of, we, we have to figure out ways to express this as a story and, and to have a story that kind of carries the, the data. And we're, we're trying to influence the public narrative. So stories is the, is the way to do that. And so this, this sort of, and I, I, you know, I mentioned the New York Times thing because it was sort of a playful tension, but we yeah. just had different ways of looking at that. And as his director of, of communications, you know, um, it's, it, it was, it was often kind of, you know, created some friction. And so I knew, you know, he's a scientist, he responds to data. So I was, I was researching South African soap operas that, you know, had had actual evaluative, uh, uh, evaluations that demonstrated that they were having success right. in reducing incidents of domestic violence and increasing or, or changing behaviors relating to HIV AIDS and, wow. and other things like that. Uh, it's actually a uh, soul city Institute is the group that was putting on those soap operas. But at the time, you know, they, 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 they were sort of nascent and I was researching them and I'm like, Oh my God, look, that, here's some exciting stuff that's happening here. And, you know, and then I'd, I'd read uh, comic books in Kenya that were having this influence with political violence and, and also, you know, like different public health initiatives. And so um, it was it was sort of growing in momentum and, and, and obsession with me as we were having these discussions. And this is, you know, I'm, I'm truncating five years of kind of back and forth and, right. and discussion. But ultimately, it ended up with uh, me choosing to go back to grad school for creative writing and literature. Um, and then figuring out ways professionally to combine, uh, you know, the, the, the storytelling and, and narrative with, with uh, social change and, and um, social work. Yeah, no, it's uh, phenomenal. And um, I haven't ever heard it said so crisply as you just shared about this South African uh, soap opera that had a quantifiable impact on human behavior. Um, you know, anecdotally, of course, we can talk about how sure. uh, story, film become a part of a national zeitgeist and people are just sort of moving in a certain direction based on that. But um, the potency of this is really unbelievable. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's, and, and that's always one of the most difficult things to measure. And actually the social change sphere, right. Is like, how do you measure that kind of behavior change component? Because you can exactly like you said, you have all of these examples, you know, uncle Tom's cabin is a perfect one that, that kind of gained momentum over the years to, you know, kind of crescendoing with, with, you know, the abolitionist movement. And this is a story that had direct impact, you know, helped, you know, kind of foster this entire abolitionist movement um, and cultivate that. But to actually have documentation and, and, you know, have metrics that demonstrate sort of the behavior change component. And that, you know, honestly, uh, one of the biggest clients that I have now is uh, Data Across Sectors for Health, uh, which is a uh, an initiative that's funded through Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And a large part of the reason that uh, they brought me on uh, was to help kind of, they, they work with some 350 public health organizations across the country. And so helping them tell their stories in a way. So in a way it's sort of going full circle or, yeah. or you know, kind of like that's that's the perfect arc of like where I started, but it's also part of it is you know this ongoing obsession with my of mine of like figuring out like how how do we actually start to to demonstrate and and evaluate you know some of these narratives and so that's that's a personal obsession of mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? oh, amazing. Well, um, you're so well suited to do it. Thank yeah, you. Not, not only your passion, but your encyclopedic knowledge of uh, film <laughs> and story, <laughs> which really came to light. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but sure, sure. a recent article on July 7th, uh, Coronavirus and the Culture Wars. Oh. Um, I was just so impressed how chock full of examples that was. I'm like, my God, this man has an encyclopedic knowledge. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Especially you. quoting Marcus Aurelius and, and Shakespeare and how they buried their pandemic narratives of their time. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and, <laughs> you know, the movies that, um, you know, uh, but science fiction is okay talking about this. I mean, this is one of the themes of your article. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. When we're not going through it. So like movies like Contagion and Outbreak were made at a time when, you know, pre-coronavirus. Right. Know, would we have the appetite to make that today is, uh, is a great question to pose. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, thank you for reading that. <laughs> um, yeah. And I feel like, uh, um, uh, I, 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 I don't know if it's uh, encyclopedia, like I, I definitely felt like that was sort of like, you know, four months of lockdown <laughs> kind of spinning out into, into, you know, like, oh, wait, and what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Um, so, uh, and, and I was, I was really grateful that Karen Zarker, who is um, um, my editor at Pop Matters, she actually sought out that publication. So it's, mm -hmm. It was it was different because I haven't been doing a lot of writing in that space. I, I did you know a few years ago, but then you know I've been trying to you know build uh, Odd Dog, build my company and, and everything. So so I hadn't been working on that, and uh, um, you know and Karen gave me this opportunity, and I was like, eh, okay, okay, okay. And when I when I hit the ground, it was like all of it just exactly like you said, all of it just came flying out. Like it was just, I love when that you know, um, yeah. And so, so I was like, oh, I, I guess I do have something to say here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That was exceptionally well done. But I, I didn't mean to fast forward. Uh, no, no, no. That's there's a lot of. Uh, we're all over the place. I like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, to try to insert somewhat of a, a time frame directive here, a timeline directive. Um, you graduate from uh, the master's program, and um, you. It, Tell us about the lead up and going to Togo, because I think it felt sure. like it was shortly after that, right? A few years after? Um, so yeah, a, a, a few years, yeah. Uh, Togo was actually, so the, I, I spent um, two years with uh, Integrate Health, right. uh, which Mental is- Mental health advocacy? It's, uh, that's actually, the, so they're uh, primary care. So okay, primary gotcha. care. Uh, what, what's fascinating about them, Asim, is that a, actually it started as an activist-based organization oh, in Togo specifically. So the traditional model, right, is that you, you send, um, you know, American and European expats into a country, they parachute in, help set up a, a healthcare system, parachute out. Gotcha. And and that's kind of the, the conventional model. What's fascinating about this is, and there's there's other programs like Integrate Health, but this is one of them, is it's all kind of organic and homegrown. So there's there's you know certainly aspects of of you know the cutting sci cutting edge of science and cutting edge kind of medical technology that's being influenced here. But, but it's really kind of uh, uh, as community-based as it gets, right? Yeah, sure. The time that I was there, I believe somewhere between um, 80 and 90% of, of the team was Togolese. Okay, nice. Well, that's so, cool. I mean, that gives you an idea of like where, you know, the impetus is at. Yeah, that, I mean, um, it's so important for the long, ongoing longevity of the programs. And so when you talked about Integrate Health, I thought about Doctors Without Borders, um, which is more the f former model you described. Exactly. And, and I'm not trying to discredit like you no, know, I it think has what its MSF place. does. It absolutely has its yeah. place and it's totally necessary. And there are obviously advantages that, you know, uh, American and, and the European like, you know, um, health field can take kind of um, with the developing world. But like the humanitarian crisis, for example, is a perfect time for it. But it, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, one of the partner organizations that um, Integrate Health works with is Last Mile Health. Uh, that was operating in Liberia at the time of the Ebola crisis. Wow. Um, and, you know, they were able to, uh, there's actually a really fascinating piece um, by uh, Raj Punjabi, who is the executive director of Last Mile Health, um, that was done as an op-ed talking about how community health workers and the community health worker model could be um, implemented here in the States yeah. wow. uh, with the coronavirus. Um, and and kind of the response to COVID. So, um, so the, yeah, I, I I I that was a life changing event uh, working with Integrate Health um, and and all of those organizations. But it was just such a paradigm shift from what we're used to. Um, and I'll tell you, I'll share uh, one story with you that uh, I think is is just kind of brings it all home. That I think is absolutely fascinating. Is uh, one of the things that that Integrate Health uh, has done is they've trained nearly 200 uh, traditional healers mm. um, in, in the field. So, you know, uh, again, the conventional approach, 
the the Western approach is is sort of like, oh, that's superstition. Yeah. That stays over here. Um, you know, families don't curse other families and make their children sick. You know, um, but the, this approach, since it is so organic, since it is so tied with with uh, you know the actual culture um, or cultures uh, in in Togo, uh, they basically trained the uh, traditional healers to recognize certain signs of like meningitis, malaria. Um, other things so so when a family brings in like a traditional healer and says okay our neighbor is cursing us and our four-year-old is sick um and we need the spell lifted what can you do the the traditional healer will say okay well the first thing that i'm seeing is i'm, I'm gonna lift the curse no problem we're gonna get rid of that you know it, they, they shouldn't have done that to you in the first place so we're, we're gonna get that we're gonna get like you know a chicken and we're gonna do a ritual and and what have you but first i'm seeing signs of uh you know meningitis so let's get uh you know the the child to a hospital get an intervention there get us you know spinal tap and see what's going on there mm -hmm. um and then intervene on, on, accordingly and so they they've at this point i believe last time i checked there was something like 180 some maybe even 200 um traditional healers who had been trained through that program uh, and who were intervening in that way it's ingenious because it really is there's a trust factor there based on tradition uh, right. and there's a lack of knowledge like the family wouldn't know to take the child to the hospital absolutely so that's the access point that's so clever yeah and, and they wouldn't know and there, i mean there's there's economic considerations as well but it's also sort of by having having somebody who you know they're they're placing their trust in exactly like you said who's making these recommendations it kind of shifts that dynamic yeah it's not somebody coming in from the outside saying okay well we know what's going on here we know what's right so you know uh da -la -la, but like working within the fabric of those cultures yeah you no, know? it's uh, stunning it uh, it reminds me of the uh the microfinancing projects that started out in with grameen bank in bangladesh and kind right. of bucking um uh, historical norm and just doing the pra very practical thing of identifying women as the uh, sort of financial stakeholders in a household and entrusting them with the loans and not the men. Right, uh, right. Uh, and uh, take, you know, because they'll they'll take care of the the children uh, right. first. And um, and it's been wildly successful. So um, this is again very clever. It's kind of honoring a tradition or, or figuring out a clever way to make access. Um, I have to ask Josh, why Togo? Um, because they hired me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, I guess it would be, but, yeah. the question is, like, were you were you looking for an overseas assignment? I, so I, 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 yes, absolutely. And I actually, so a, a, a colleague friend of mine who um, had been working with uh, Cure Violence, who I had mentioned earlier, um, uh, where I sort of that's that was the violence prevention organization, they had developed an, an app um, and, and kind of a platform to intervene in the, the Kenyan elections and some of the 
Um, and so uh, that individual who's also named Josh, uh, he's Josh one, I'm Josh two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, he's really active in sort of the, the tech social change space. Um, uh, and, um, you know, he, he had, I, I had asked if, if he knew of anybody who was hiring in the, that field and who was, who was doing any good work. And at the time, I, I had helped Cure Violence kind of rebrand um, their organization that was part of my responsibilities uh, as communication director there. Um, and Integrate Health was, was starting a, a rebranding journey. Okay. Um, and so it was just a, a perfect fit. So Josh provided the introduction. Josh is actually executive director of Medic Mobile, um, which is a fascinating organization that uses um, cell phone technology to equip some of these community health workers that we're talking about um, so that they can basically do all of their data collection um, over, over cell phones, uh, which is, I mean, it's phenomenal for, you know, now seeing the U.S. side of it through the dash work, it's phenomenal for U.S., but, but you know, to have that in, in you know, Nepal or uh, Togo or, you know, Liberia, it's, 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 it's other level. <laughs> other level yeah. remarkable yeah, um so josh provided the introduction to integrate health and you know i was there for for two years helping them kind of rebrand um and you know take that sort of transition uh a lot of the identity that they had had um you know had they basically wanted something that was sort of like scaled up and, you know, could, could get more traction with kind of tech circles, um, more traction with funders uh, and so on. And that was uh, also could be spoken in both English and French. That was important. Togolese is a Francophone French country. Right. Um, and so uh, that, that was, that was the process. Um, and we, we rolled it out. Um, they nearly doubled their budget. Um, they went from, I, I believe, the, they went from like uh, a little over a million dollars to uh, $2,500,000 okay. um, and uh, doubled their service area. So it was something uh, from like 40000 to 93000 uh, individuals served. Right. Um, so it's pretty, I mean, like that's, and obviously that, that's not all credit to the, the brand, but it shows you like the, the impact that a brand can have, yeah. um, you know, especially one that's kind of cross continent. <laughs> right, right. No, so true. Um, were you, is, is it pronounced Lome, the capital? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, we actually did a, a, so uh, we, we did like a cross country sort of, Tour actually, yeah. um, so Kara is where uh, most of the the organization is based. Gotcha. Um, and you know that's sort of uh, that was sort of a hub for all of the because the program is most effective with um, some of the the rural communities. Yeah. Um, the community health workers actually kind of extend. Um, the the services that are provided out into the into the community, um, and where you know essentially even you know you, you have pregnant moms who are on the the verge of 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 giving birth, who have to walk miles on unpaved roads to get to a maternity clinic, um, to you know, so. Um, so being able to like amplify and expand kind of the 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 reach of 
the, the healthcare system was sort of indispensable. Yeah, yeah, no, extraordinary. And so it was a set two-year program? So you knew you were going to come back, or did you decide after? Oh yeah, 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 years, yeah, like, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, you were ready to to come home. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. That's it was it was uh, it was very much um, you know having again having having worked for for the doc who who worked uh, with WHO and having right. you know um, he he he's played a very significant role in my life even even if it was uh, you know at times um, you know entertainingly tense um, <laughs> he, he helped he helped define my 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 purpose in life um, by by uh, default right by opposition <laughs> I, I, I love the euphemistic ring to that it's yeah. uh, just being testy <laughs> yeah yeah um uh so you know like that that was one of the things that you know i i, I had definitely i'd wanted to visit africa i had wanted to do and kind of see that work kind of firsthand yeah. um, and stuff so that was that was definitely on the bucket list, so to speak. Gotcha. I wanted that to be part of my story. Nice, nice. Well, and when did you get back from that? Um, good question. Uh, it'd have been a couple of years ago now. Gotcha. Um, or maybe, no, no, probably about, yeah, about a couple of years ago now. Okay. All right. Um, and my main, my main role was to, to, to launch the, the new brand. Um, so that was sort of, that was, that was from, from beginning to end, you know, my, my focus. Right, 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 right. And so, uh, as you were planning for, for coming back, were you contemplating, um, Odd Duck and, and, and launching that? Yeah. And, and I had actually, um, so I had been playing around with kind of Odd Duck for, for quite a while in the back of my head. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, uh, that was sort of the impetus. So we um i guess soft launched in 2018 gotcha um and very much were were you know focused on you know starting i you know i i, I had had some experiences working um with uh the university of illinois chicago's sure. um neuroscience center and their psychiatry team kind of being an in-house consultant. Okay. And so that was sort of the first thing that was like, oh, I, I could, I could do this. You know, right. I'm, I'm kind of juggling different, you know, different projects now and, and moving between projects. So that was sort of on my radar um, already. And, you know, uh, honestly, it, seemed it was, it was, it was like I was saying, you know, I, I knew professionally that I wanted to go in this direction of the sort of hybrid field of, you know, uh, social change communications mm. uh, with with a sort of health communication bent and storytelling and gotcha. bringing those two together. Yeah. Um, so that was very much that was very much what I had my impetus. You yeah. know, for for Odd Duck, which was a very much the cross section intersection pinnacle of your career and passion. A thousand percent. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, that's exactly right. Tell us about the choice of name. The, oh, <laughs> I'm just a weird dude. <laughs> um, so to to elaborate, you know, I, we we were joking before that I, I you know like I'm a, I I uh, I'm a faux pas kind of guy, <laughs> right? 
Um, and and that that was the thing. I feel like uh, you know I, I'm I have a ADHD diagnosis um, as as, wow. as uh, uh, the evaluators who had kind of done the ADHD testing said they said um, you are the most clear cut case of attention deficit with extreme hyperactivity disorder. And I was like, is that a new diagnosis? Because I've never read about that in the literature. And they're like, no, 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 that's just for you. <laughs> so, wow. wow. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, uh, uh, you, you put your, your foot in your mouth an awful lot <laughs> when, when you have uh, ADD. And, and I was sort of like, you know, I kind of done apologizing for this. Mistakes happen, life happens, things happen. Good for you. That's and, exactly. Uh, what I'm just gonna that. own it. That's great. <laughs> I'm gonna no, own the weird. <laughs> How old were you when you were diagnosed? Um, so I actually I was an adult uh, when I was diagnosed. I was um, probably maybe late twenties, early thirties. Okay. And was it uh, like a, a eureka moment? Like, Oh my God, that explains so much now. Absolutely. It was like, <laughs> a scene, it was like rewriting my entire life story. Wow. And, and uh, uh, my, Amazing. my, my wife, she and I, uh, we were, we were dating at the time and I had printed off all of this literature on this stuff. I was just like, this is, and it, she's like, yeah, that explains a lot. <laughs> but yeah, for me, it was absolutely that was that was life changing. Wow, Completely. wow, and uh, it must also have felt so liberating. Just to know, to, to know, you know, just the understanding, just to know the knowledge itself. To be like, I mean, it was a whole different matter of uh, management management of it. But right. then, just to just knowing, like, wow, okay, this is what's been going on. Well, and, and to be completely like upfront, you know, you feel often you feel for a long time, oh, there's, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. And to, to have a name for that and to see, oh, these, these are actually, you know, the, these characteristics that I'm saying are, are wrong, um, are, are symptoms and, you know, and they're manageable and they're actually you know, there's, there's as much to celebrate there about who I am, um, as there is to, to work on and to manage. And it took, I think that was, the, <laughs> that took the most time, um, uh, to, to kind of learn and internalize. Um, but yeah, so, so, uh, the, the, this is all a long story to say that's, that's sort of the, the stamp that's odd duck is, is me taking full ownership of that. <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. Um, it's, it's really extraordinary. Um, what was the impetus to, to get tested? Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I was just a mess at that point. Just like <laughs> I mean, enough's enough. Just, I got it. Somebody tell me something. Well, it, it was in, it was just one of those things where it was like, you know, I, I just felt like, you know, I felt lost. You know, and, and one of the things with, with ADD that, um, that, that is, a, there's, it's often coupled with depression. Yeah. And some of the things that happen are you, you work on a big project. And if you don't have another big project lined up right away, yeah. um, you, you just sort of fall into this funk. Sure. And, and so to be honest, um, a, a large part of what 
I stumbled onto kind of the diagnosis for in the first place was because I just felt like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm killing it on a lot of things. I'm, I'm like, you know, really just like, you know, at, at the time I was, I was doing, starting a, a, my career in external relations and, you know, um, I'm like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sending out these grants. I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Like what is going on here? You know, that I'm feeling, I feel miserable. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm I externally, objectively, everything's going right, but I'm feeling miserable and I don't, what, what is, what is, what is, what is happening? Yeah. And so then I kind of, that began my, my search initially with Dr. Google, um, <laughs> just to kind of type of different things in, but, uh, but, you know, getting pointed in the, in the right direction, taking one of those self tests and then seeing the, okay, you know, uh, I, I think there's something to this. I'm gonna, you know, I, 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 as, as you noted with the article, so I have a tendency, if I, if I get on a, a topic or I get on a subject, I'm going to read everything I can get my hands on about that subject. Yeah. I just devour it. And so, you know, I went through uh, a year and a half where I just read every ADD book that I could get my hands on, every text. And this is all before I've even seen a, a therapist. So, so it was like, I, I had to have a working knowledge and an understanding sure, of, absolutely. of that for me first. And then, then I went through, um, uh, it, was, it was sort of a full day of, of testing to get the diagnosis. Um, and they essentially kind of, they, they make you do everything that you're not good at <laughs> to test whether or not. So it's like, okay. If you're trying you know, to frustrate me, guys, it's worth <laughs> That is exactly it. I was like, I, I tested positive for frustration. It was like. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Well, kudos that you sought the help and got uh, a better understanding of the dynamic. But what I'm exceptionally want to compliment you on, what I'm sexually, exceptionally impressed with rather, is how you described it just now as being um, a tool that has also given you some benefits. And um, I think the scope of your article is a prime example. It's like only somebody with this gift that you have could write something so expansive. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it, has, it has been it has been challenging to grapple with, but it has also offered you these perspectives and these insights that uh, others without it can't get to. And so well done on, on making it work for you. Thank you. Appreciate that. I do. So um, thinking about Odd Duck, who's an ideal client for you? Uh, wow. Awesome. Uh, so we work with, we work with, uh, uh, nonprofits, mm -hmm. NGOs, international NGOs, uh, social impact, uh, startups and, uh, issue-based documentary films. Gotcha. So those, that, that's sort of our, our, uh, you know, kind of broad Venn diagram of nice. clients. And nice. so that's, uh, and, and, you know, we, we take a narrative strategy to everything. So um, if we're talking about the, you know, the rebrands, um, you know, the, you know, organizational development, you know, really the, the integrate health rebrand is a perfect example. We went in thinking it wasn't about the logo and it wasn't about, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, figuring out kind of what, what the messaging was. It was really about change management. 
and figuring out how we were going to preserve that that activist history mm. and the legacy that you know um, and and what was truly unique about that organization into you know this slick new brand that even the board was saying eh, maybe that's too corporate mm. you know and and you know uh, eventually finding finding common ground there so um, so you know helping kind of narrativize an entire organization and their strategic direction um uh is 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 sort of where we've often fallen of like how do we collect all of these collective voices that make up an organization and those individual stories and then tell them as part of the story of the organization itself nice nice uh, you mentioned uh one of the pillars or category of client um uh, documentary film on a certain topic um and as soon as you said it of course i was like oh yeah that's genius um have you had a chance to work on any of those we do we have uh two right now um that we're tell us about on. it absolutely absolutely so one of them um kind of goes back to to my roots so it's a uh it's with a uh film company that uh has done a, a few films already, but it's focused around um, homelessness and homelessness oh, okay. prevention, and specifically uh, this Housing First initiative. Gotcha. Um, so it's it's Beyond the Bridge is the name of the the film. Uh, a bigger vision is is the company that we're partnering with, um, and you know Housing First is sort of it seems like it would be a no brainer, right? Like oh yeah, okay, well, you got a lot of issues, but you're sleeping under a bridge let's get you into housing. But for whatever reason, this policy, and, and a large part of it, I don't think is, is the political will hasn't been there. And maybe that will change with the coronavirus, but, but we're, the film is just trying to, to get traction on showcasing how this policy works, how it, it has a transformational impact in the lives of several individuals who have been street dependent for years who have lived in, in homeless encamp encampments and intense cities and you know, had all of the, the difficult experiences that put them in those circumstances in the first place and how by addressing that housing issue, you address, um, you know, you can, you can actually build a solid base to address all of those other things mm -hmm. and kind of unwind that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one of them uh, that we're working on. The other is um, similar to the article uh, <laughs> that we, we keep alluding to. It's, it's just different, all these different pieces. So um, we're working, the, the primary subject of the film is uh, uh, an environmental landscape artist, Stuart Williams. Okay. Um, he's been working since, uh, you know, the early 90s, um, doing these kind of elaborate landscape pieces. He had this opportunity a couple of years back to go to uh, Dresden, Germany, sure. um, and commemorate the, uh, the anniversary of the bombing of Dresden, wow. uh, which has been written about by Vonnegut and, yes, and is, right. is sort of this, this very kind of pivotal piece of, of the Allied sort of history in the war. Right. Um, and so he, he, he had had this, this idea, the, the, the idea was is, is brilliant was to basically create with light this sort of breathing effect of having the tower um, uh, the, of the Dresden Cathedral wow. breathe for that period of time wow. during the anniversary when they were being bombed, which symbolically, you know, you have, this is, this is a city that was literally suffocated 
by firebombing. Well, absolutely. And, and it, it became a part of East Germany post-war, and they were notorious for not doing the type of rebuild that uh, Western Germany did. And, and exactly. of course, the environmental credentials of Eastern Europe are abysmal. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, and so um, at, at the same time, um, during the commemoration and the buildup of this, uh, there was a, a neo-Nazi uh, group that was organizing, trying to use the anniversary um, to kind of create this narrative of victimhood mm. and, and grow a populist base. And so uh, the, the story, the film um, that we're putting together really tells the story of these two forces playing out in public narrative Wow. And what that what that looks like building up to um, the 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 event itself, the seven year annual observation, um, and that and so that's the idea. So um, yeah, it's it's very exciting. Uh, I think it's it's incredibly timely because you have you know so many of the symbolic targets of uh, the the BLM movement. Yes. have been focused on, you know, statues of Columbus, statues of, of you know, um, well, Confederate soldiers. And, yeah, the symbolism and how that encapsulates story. I mean, the Confederate flag as an example. Perfect example. Yeah, that's exactly it. So so we really think, I think there's the, you know, we, we think that the, the timing is right for it, you know, um, and that we, we have, you know, sort of an, an audience that's, that's ready to to have some of those discussions and to sort of look at that. Yeah. Wow. Extraordinary. It's uh, it's mind-boggling uh, the correlation between poverty and hate. It it, it really is. It yeah. really is. Um, um, terrorist uh, cells starting in some of the poorest areas and madrasas um, taking advantage of uh, people without means and yeah. you know eastern europe has struggled economically um for a significant amount of time and uh, i'm a big soccer fan uh, i was born in germany actually oh so yeah yeah yeah. i knew that yeah in, in origin right oh that's right that's right yeah, yeah, yeah. i didn't even th i didn't make the connection with the <laughs> dresden thing but yeah, yeah of course of course in fact in the my home city you could call it the city of my birth uh, there the remnants of a church that wasn't completely constructed that had been bombed during the war and it's right in the middle of um the city it's uh, one of the main shopping fairs called uh, kufristendam and um you just get a sense of um guess what that experience was like but how central the churches were in in those cities and so i just really immediately felt the potency of what this artist created in terms of the church breathing yeah. All of that, that symbolism um, and obviously skipped around a few different topics there but coming back to the sense of hate it's um it's also how you know that the, I mean the, the radicalization um in, in in the middle east but even closer to home yeah. um you know it's it's the uh the people with lower sort of socioeconomic standing that can be sensationalized and can be converted and, and told to believe in something and it's the dehumanization aspect of it as well when you absolutely talk about somebody as as a group it's easy then to not see them as a father a brother a son a daughter mother yeah parent yep. um 
it's a, that's going to have to be a part of uh, how we address this and and the impact of story as as you've talked about that it has really been the hallmark of your life's work plays a very critical role in this i hope so i believe that yeah, yeah, yeah removing yeah. some of these symbols uh, like the confederate flag and then dealing with statues and even you know corporate branding uh, you know aunt jemima as a yeah yeah. An icon um yeah that it just there's messaging that's in there that needs to be modified absolutely 100 percent. yeah and that and and to your point like you know that a, a lot of people default to you know story as empathy builder and then the conversation sort of ends there of oh well you know we can identify you know let, let's let's identify across this divide Mm. Um, and, and part of, part of the, the culture war article spoke about this too, that, that it's not just about building empathy, but it's building new narratives as yeah. well. That as, as we head into this future, it's, it's addressing those symbols. It's having, it's shifting the public narrative, right. um, to recognize it, you know, in the, in the broadest sense, equity and right. equality and, you know, um, and and to actually shift the conversation overall um so 100 percent, yeah and I, that's sometimes i get accused of of overselling the capabilities of story but i really do believe there's something there you know? it's a story of humanity and like that's how the course is like why is the bible told the way it is yeah yeah, a hundred percent. Hinduism, you know, you think about we have this affinity with animals in, in Hinduism. Um, from an anthropological perspective, it was ingenious because if you don't respect those animals, like tigers, cobras, and elephants, you're gonna die. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. Make absolutely. them holy, create them as godlike, and right. uh, suddenly there's respect and. Uh, the humanity uh, perpetuates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Added value, humanity <laughs> perpetuates. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I would like to share just uh, the um, uh, Odd Duck website if anybody yeah, wants please. to learn more. Uh, it's just oddduck.io. Um, we got one of those coveted IO uh, domains, so or URLs. Um, yeah, but uh, I see my. I, this this has been awesome. I really appreciate it. I do hope this is this is uh, uh, the start of a beautiful friendship. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. We just well, keep this conversation going. Even as we were talking, there are a number of people that came to mind that I'd love to connect you with, just as sort of the, the realm of possibilities to see where things could go, uh, including uh, my friend you met earlier. Uh, yeah. Um, but also, um, you might know of uh, Sheila Andreen, who is a documentary filmmaker. She's okay. the founder of a company called Indie Flicks. And she's actually done quite a bit. She's done a trilogy um, focused on adolescent mental health. Oh, wow. Okay. One of them is called Angst. The other is um, um, Like. So it's a social media bullying uh, yeah. um, look. Um, and so, yeah, I just think uh, alignment there. Um, you know, I, I don't think she might have some communications people or people who help her out with sure, that. Sure. I don't know. But you know, oftentimes I just feel like you bring people together and then interesting things fall out of it. So. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. <laughs> uh, are your parents still with you, by the way? 
Yeah, they are. They are. Uh, my father has uh, uh, this. You're you're an arts guy. You'll appreciate this. So my my father actually has uh, Parkinson's. Oh gosh. Um, so he had to he had to stop doing the the storytelling yeah, because better. it affects the vocal cords. Right. Um, he had to stop doing a lot of you know uh, uh, the art and stuff because of the tremors. And so um, when his when his tremors were progressing. He was like, I wonder, <laughs> this is, this is a, an amazing story. Even if it wasn't my dad, I would find it amazing. He's <laughs> like, I wonder if I could just like teach myself how to do this with my other hand. So Asim, I swear, he taught himself, he's, he's, he's right-handed, he taught himself how to sketch left-handed. And rather than, you know, as the, as the tremors kind of, you know, it, 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 it's a neurodegenerative disorder and it actually you know it ha creates this sort of sewing machine effect with with your hand um, where it just starts tremoring so instead of trying to move the pen and the marker um, around the the space and the pencil around the space he moved the entire sketch pad and that's how he made he created the image and I, I'm gonna be honest some of some of the work that he's done with his left hand I think is even better <laughs> <laughs> the work that he's done with this right, wow. um, but I just thought I, it's it's so remarkable, and and I just feel like it's 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 an incredible story, just in, based on you know the kind of resilience of that, and the you know art will find a way, um, but just just the the kind of spirit of 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 an ingenuity of like oh I'm 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 going to switch hands and go this route, I just it's just incredible. Yeah. So impressive, Josh. That's amazing. And yeah. it's, um, you know, art will find a way, but also like willpower. Absolutely. I mean, from Absolutely. passion, we'll, we'll find a way. I mean, when you shared that, I thought of, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it was just sure. no, no, no. Thomas Jefferson, whom we revere as not only an amazing statesman and president, uh, but also um, an innovator, uh, kind of, you know, he and Ben Franklin would always come up with these Right, right. And he liked to have a copy of his letters. And so he created this contraption that would hold two quills. Okay. <laughs> As he would write it, it would make a copy on another. That's amazing. Page. So it made me think of that. So <laughs> yeah. same yeah. level of genius. That, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. That's a really yeah, for story sure. that you're done. Thanks for sharing all of your stories, Josh. Thank you. Thank you for giving me uh, an opportunity. Oh, this has been a real treat, a real delight. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive and Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.